You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel as written to us by John. This is one of the longer Gospels of the Church here on this third Sunday of Lent. So I'm going to ask you to sit and be much more comfortable. Because instead of... uh, reading it first and then commenting, I'll try to insert my comments right in the reading. Let me say beforehand that the entire passage that's usually called the woman at the well all builds up to the final verse. He is the savior of the world. And what we're going to see in this really brilliantly put together theological statement, we have Jesus teaching all of the ways that religion and the search for God limits itself. And one prejudice after another is going to be called into question. He's moving us toward the universalization of the search for God. And yet the human temptation is always to pull it into our group, our tribe, our denomination, our nationality. Everybody does it. But John 4 tells us not to do that. So let's start. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Now, Samaria is right in the middle of Israel, and they so hate one another, Jews and Samaritans, that the Jews normally will not walk through And in fact, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, do not even visit Samaritan towns. He reveals his cultural bias at that point. But here in John's gospel, that's where he goes himself. Jacob's well was there. I was able to visit that well many years ago. It's one of the few places where you know the exact spot. Wells don't move. So... Jacob's well can still be visited, and you know Jesus stood right there. Jesus, tired from the journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon, so it sounds like a very uh, concrete remembrance. Now a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now I hope you see the reversal of roles here. Normally, God, in our case Jesus, wouldn't be asking us for help. We'd be asking him for help. But he turns it around, knowing that in this relationship of vulnerability, many people meet God. Maybe it's the only way. And he said, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, that, what's that a giveaway on? Not only is he going to talk to a Samaritan woman, but he's going to talk to a woman. Now, I know to us that doesn't seem so unusual, but in most of the Middle East to this day, you see it on the evening news. Men are in public, women are kept in private, and women uh, don't talk to men in public or vice versa. This was true already in Jesus' time. might seem pretty stupid to us, but... That's culture and the power of culture. 
And the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? We don't. Jews have nothing in common with Samaritans. So the prejudice is revealed right there. Jesus answered and said to her, If you but knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him that he would have given you living water. Now, probably we would translate living water as flowing water or fresh water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket and the cistern is deep. Where can you get this running water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself? Jesus answered and he said to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give will never be thirsty. So obviously flowing water is the symbol for this universal presence of God. It flows through everything. It flows in every country. Nobody owns water. Well, some states think they do, but nobody owns water. We, uh, it's everywhere, we hope. I don't know for how long. but uh, So that's become his image of living water springing up from within you, as he'll go on to say. Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, oh, I should have mentioned the first prejudice he overcame was ethnicity, tribalism. He doesn't pay a bit of attention to it. He doesn't care what tribe she is. Uh, He ignores it. People don't realize how often Jesus is breaking the rules. He usually is. And it's amazing that we created a religion in his name all about laws. Jesus doesn't seem very interested in them at all. And we'll continue. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. You are right in saying, I do not have a husband. But he doesn't seem to say this in a condemning way or an accusing way. He doesn't stop talking to her. He doesn't say she's going to hell. He just says, I know, you've had five husbands. I wonder if he had a grin on his face when he said that, The one you have now is not your husband. And the woman says, what you've said is true. So he overcomes the second prejudice. Who obeys the rules the way I obey the rules? This woman is not obeying the Jewish rules. He doesn't seem to care. He continues the conversation. We didn't learn very much from Jesus at all. I guess you've heard some of the cardinals are fighting Pope Francis because they don't want people in a second marriage to go to communion. I'll bet some of you in this room are in a second marriage, maybe a third, maybe a fourth, maybe if we're like her, a fifth. But it appears Jesus isn't too upset. All he cares about is the soul. All he cares about is what you can do with the soul. Then the prejudice of place. Our ancestors worship on this mountain. 
But your people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now he just alienated all of his Jewish friends and the present state of Israel and Netanyahu and Trump, I guess all of them. He said, Jerusalem doesn't matter. You people worship what you do not yet understand. We worship in spirit. The true worship, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, no one controls spirit. No one controls truth. And every religion builds its own little temples and thinks we are in control of God. Jesus says it's not true. Neither Gerizim, where the Samaritans worship, nor Jerusalem. So he, now he's upset both groups. He probably wasn't welcome in either place. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. Then the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he. I am the one speaking with you. At that moment, the disciples returned, good Jewish boys who follow the law, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. But still no one dared to say, why are you talking with her? They were feeling it, they were thinking it, just the way we hold our prejudices hidden in our hearts. The woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? She doesn't say he condemned me for everything I've done, he just told me. Then in effect said, Okay, take responsibility for it. You better choose one of those men. Uh, you can't be married to five at the same time. It just doesn't work. At least I don't think it works. Maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> they went out of town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. And then he moves to uh, the notion of what it is that really feeds people. I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? They almost always miss the point. He's talking on the spiritual level. They're wondering if they got a Whataburger and they don't you know, understand. This helps us not feel so stupid. Uh, because the first apostles were consistently stupid, almost always missing the point. Now he questions or uncovers the notion of time. You say in four months the harvest will be here. I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest even now. The reaper is already receiving payment and gathering crops for eternal life. You say one sows and another reaps, but you are about to reap 
what you did not work for. So don't try to say it's going to come later, as most of us did. You either have it now, or you don't have it. <laughs> really. Heaven is just going to be a continuation of what you've chosen right now. And if you're not a loving person today, why would you want to go to heaven? It's going to be all loving people and you won't fit in. You really won't. God isn't going to exclude anybody. You're going to exclude yourself because you don't like to be around nice people, you see? He says, it's all right now. Not some sow and others reap. We are all reaping what we sow right now. Now many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I've ever done. And when the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay, and he stayed there for two days. Now this has to be really upsetting the Jews. He's making friends with the enemy, and he's living with the enemy for two days. Have you ever been criticized for mixing with black people or gay people or gringos like me? Or <laughs> this stuff continues. We just create all kind of boundaries that don't make a bit of sense. Many more began to believe in him because of his word. And they said to the woman, Now we no longer believe because of your word. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is truly the Savior of the whole world. That's the point. That's the only time in the whole Bible that phrase is used, Savior of the world. Because up to now we haven't had a Savior of the world. We have saviors of America, saviors of Switzerland, saviors of Mexico, but savior of everybody? I don't know if we even want that. I guess you've all heard the joke about whatever denomination you can think of, but they're all in heaven with other Presbyterians or other Catholics, and, and uh, then they see a sign that there's another group. They say the door is locked. The Methodists are behind there. And then God says, well, we got to keep the Methodists back there because they think they're the only ones who are here. That's pretty much like Catholics. We think we're the only ones who are there. God is just too big for almost all of us.